Dear listeners of the Female Guys Requested Podcast, welcome back. I'm your host Tingting from Las Vegas. Today is another beautiful Wednesday, so I'm delivering another fantastic episode with our guest Laura Smalsis. I've been wanting to interview Laura for quite some time. She has an amazing life story and has gone through quite a few career transitions. From a full-time instructor and guide to a physical therapist, and then an entrepreneur, she is definitely not afraid of trying new things, and she always figures out a way to make them work. She was also one of the first female AMG certified rock guide when she obtained the certification in two thousand one. Climbing has always been one of Laura's greatest passions. In this episode. Laura talked about how her first nose course changed her life, how that experience inspired her to live and work in the outdoors, and after ten years working full time for nose, visiting and living in pristine and wild places, why she decided to transition into guiding with Jackson Hole Mountain Guides, and later what made her decide to start from ground zero and enter the physical therapy school. And eventually started her company, Wave Towards Therapy, educating others and selling athletic recovery products. We also discussed how to prevent injury and perform self-care to make one's guiding and athletic life longer and more sustainable. There are so many insights in Laura's answers, and I can't wait to share our conversation with you all. Thank you so much for、um, accepting this interview.、Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time because you are a perfect candidate <laughs> for me because、oh, you. you have gone through. So you you went to Prescott College, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it was a very outdoor oriented college,、mm-hmm. and then you work for NOS National Outdoor Leadership School,、mm-hmm. and then you also work as a guide. I think for Jackson Hole Mountain guys, yes, for for quite a while, and then you became a physical therapist. And yes, and then <laughs> yeah. So I have your wave to Austin. It's fantastic.、Yeah. And then an entrepreneur. So I don't know, lots of things, lots of careers. <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to ask you all that. How did you start, and then why did you make the transition out, and then、mm-hmm. what did you? Feel the most proud during your guiding career, and then the reason that you are doing it now, and then the challenge of being an entrepreneur,、uh, and then also some self-serving questions. I really want to ask you about、um, how to do some. Maybe we have some prehab exercise of、um, to just you know as a as a guy, we need to take care of our body and and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lots of questions, but、uh, maybe I'll start with、um, how did you even start playing the outdoor?、Um, well, I I grew up in the East Coast and in, in the suburbs, and East Coast. Was, where where is in East Coast?、Uh, I grew up in DC. 
Outside. Oh, so it's not like outdoorsy at all, huh? Not outdoorsy. And my family is not outdoorsy. I mean, you know, we'd swim at, we'd swim in, at our lake house and I played tennis and stuff like that. Um, but I always just loved being outside and hiking in the woods. And a few of my friends in high school took a, Knowles courses. I think some of us were tr- troubled teens. <laughs> we got into trouble. We were naughty. And, um, Anyways, uh, you know, it was just a good opportunity for them to like get away and they all like the outdoors too, but none of us had done anything really in the outdoors. So when I was 19, I took a Knowles course. Um, so I was, I did a year and a half of college and then I took a Knowles course. I did a semester in the Southwest and that really changed my life. So that that's what really got me into all this stuff. So I started relatively late, especially by, uh, you know, today's world of, of kids getting into these things very young. Um, so yeah, I did my Knowles course. And after my Knowles course, I was like, this is for me. <laughs> like when I first did, when I did climbing and my climbing course, you know, I was basically like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, it just seemed... Yeah, exactly what, uh, I don't know, but just what I needed in life. So after my Knowles course, I uh, transferred to Prescott College um, because I wanted to, you know, stay out in Arizona, uh, climb, do outdoor stuff. So I transferred to Prescott College and finished my last two and a half years there. Oh, so you started college when you were in D.C., but then... Uh, Upstate New York, yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right. But then after you spent some time in the Southwest, you said, okay, I'm going to go to Arizona. So, yes. And did so, you also change your major? Oh yeah. Well, press, um, my first school, Skidmore college, you know, all the things I wanted to do, like environmental studies or women's studies, um, were all only minors. So I was a major in like anthropology, but you know, it was only a year and a half. So then I switched to Prescott. And I ended up studying environmental um, science, environmental education, and also outdoor education. I had a double major. Nice. And then, so after Prescott College, did you start working for NOS already or were you had other jobs? I, I worked at a couple camps like that were outdoor camps to just sort of get experience. And then... When I finished college, uh, 96, I applied uh, for the instructor's course at Knowles. So that was, uh, you know, my first like real job, I guess. And how long did you work for Knowles? I worked for Knowles um, from 97 to about 2007. So 10 years. Wow. That's, that's a long time there. Yeah. And, and many of those years were full-time. Full-time. So which means that how many field days do you did you have? I think full-time was like 25 weeks a year, which doesn't sound that much. But it's, when you do It's that, a lot. Yeah. It's a lot because, yeah. every, you know, those are days like gone, right? And then- right. Especially in those courses, like either at least 30 days. Yeah, a lot of yes. them are. Yeah. And then the climbing camps um, are like two and a half weeks. Um, and then there's always days on each end where you're basically prepping or whatever, just dealing. Um, 
And so for most of that time, I lived in my truck. So that was the days before van life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that when I took my nose courses and worked a little bit. I didn't work as long as you did. Uh -huh. that definitely a lot of people sleep in the back of their trucks. Yeah, know? it was it was living in the back of your truck. So I would when I wasn't working for Knowles, I'd go to Indian Creek or Devil's Tower or, or go somewhere and climb. So you were living the dream that's that's people I like guess, to call. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but not making much money. I think uh, starting at Knowles in 97, it was like 50 something or $60 a day, uh, a day. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was for a base instructor, but, um, but it was a great life, you know, and I, I loved Knowles. I loved all the experiences I had there. Yeah. So, I mean, obvious people know that, uh, the drawback of, okay, the pay is not that awesome. You are in the field a lot of times, probably very hard to have a relationship, but then it's, I mean, just like you said, the nose experience kind of changed your life. Um, so you probably, so you, you probably change a lot of people's life too. So was that uh, your favorite parts of working for nose? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a combination of getting out to these incredible places that were truly wilderness and truly remote uh and then also yeah just the impact you had on people who were like me at one point where like they weren't outdoorsy or they hadn't experienced this and when they go on a Knowles course you know they're in a small group they're cooking for themselves they're learning communication skills they have to work in a team they have to learn how to map read and then work in a team to get to the next place um so it's you know, as you know, it's so different than guiding. It is more of a school. We taught first aid, we taught communication, we taught all the hard skills like um, cooking and campsite selection and setting up tents. And, um, but there was just so much more about helping people learn, I guess, just how to be self-reliant and resilient <laughs> because these are people who maybe have never cooked before, have never really had to make that many challenging decisions before. And all of a sudden, you know, you're putting him in those positions. So that's, that's really cool. And you're doing it in this incredible place. Like I worked so many wind river mountaineering courses. And as you know, cause you've done long traverses in the winds. It's, it's just, in, it's incredible. I, I, yeah. Wind river <laughs> range is still the, my favorite Alpine range in the States. It, yeah. It's incredible. It is incredible. I mean, I will not, promote everybody to go there because I want to keep it <laughs> quiet <laughs> and low key. You know, people can go to Cascades and Sierras, but like, uh -huh. <laughs> leave the wind reverses. Yeah. But I certainly, I truly understand what you meant by you really go into the wilderness and you spend time there. I think that's a quite different than guiding. I think, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, I think it just depends, of course, but a lot of guiding is sort of short, shorter trips and goal oriented. Um, at Knowles, I mean, we were, well, one, this was also obviously pre cell phone. We did have a ground to air radio. This was pre satellite phones when I was working there. So we had a ground to air radio. That was the only way to contact if there was an emergency. If you saw a plane fly over, you could try to contact them. So like kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I did a course in Australia once that was like 60 days uh, in, the, in the Kimberley region, which is the most remote region in 
the world. It's more remote than the Amazon even because there's just no people. And I was like, we could just drink out of the river. It was incredible. Well, also, you don't filter anything. You just drink out of the water. Just take your cup. It's just so pristine. And, um, and we had lots of adventures there because we had like a cyclone come through and the water rose 30 feet in 24 hours and uh, lots of adventures um, and seeing incredible things like a thousands, hundreds of thousands of fruit bats, you know, uh, that you we paddled through in, a, in the canoes. Um, that's the kind of wilderness, you know, that is just, it's very remote and it's very hard to experience. And, it, and honestly, I don't experience it that much anymore. I mean, I'm, I don't go on those long trips anymore and, and that's okay, but I'm right. so grateful for all the trips I did. Um, being yeah. away from everything for 30 plus days. I mean, certainly, you know, because, um, you know, I've started to see, say, the younger generation doing those courses or um, they enjoy doing expedition. I was like, hmm, am I a little bit too old? <laughs> <laughs> Not thinking about because I remember those days, certainly there are challenges and but there's a lot of rewards. Um, so yeah. and now like talking with you, that kind of remind me that's uh, good old days when I didn't really have to worry too much about my retirement. And <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Living in the moment mm -hmm. and being young. So you're not too worried about it. Yeah. Just having, enjoying yourself. And what's after those, like, did you just transition right out where you were working like multiple places at the same time? Yeah. Well, at some point, um, I, I think part of being on those really long expeditions, did start to get tired and I wanted to have a little more like grounding like and community and stability, that type of thing. Our community stability. Yeah. I just, I needed to be grounded a little more. And mm. so, um, I started looking into guiding because that would give me opportunities to do shorter trips and go back home. Um, I also like loved all the, I really love all the technical aspects about climbing. So I always loved teaching, I yeah. just building rescue. And my I, uh, husband Dave, then she, yeah. he just told me he said, "Wow, Laura is just so smart, and so sharp on technical system." And then he oh. said he was always a mess. And then Laura just said, "You know what? <laughs> Why don't I just take over this thing?" <laughs> I well, I one of my I think you know there's there's like this one I can't remember if it's ha maybe Howard Gardner. There's like eleven intelligences. It used to be the seven intelligences. I think it's eleven now. I haven't researched it recently, but one of them is spatial relationship and when i learned that there's different intelligence i was like oh that's me the spatial uh, okay you know so map reading was always easy um building anchors is easy also it applies to like pt and like being able to look through a person and just visualize oh. their skeletal system uh i'm terrible at languages you know i had trouble learning to read so everyone has their strengths but that kind of spatial relationship stuff was always really, I used to love to tinker with stuff. And so I think with the, I loved that about the climbing systems. So, right. um, so I started teaching some of those rescue courses and then I uh, decided that I wanted to get my AMGA um, rocks guide certification. Um, and so this was in, that was in like 2000. Um, 
so long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I remember you were one of the early female AMG rock guide, I think. They, yeah, one of the guy, the guys told me that I was the third certified oh. rock, woman rock guide. Oh. That could be not exactly right. I know, but Angela, you were really early. But pretty early. I mean, back then, and when I was in Prescott College, I'll admit, we made fun of the AMGA. <laughs> We were all wanting to just be a bunch of cowboys, you know, and guide. And then, but as I got started working, I just thought, started to see the value in the certification process and just learning more. And, and I really kind of started to crave uh, just learning everything I could about all those systems and, and the climbing and the guiding. So I took um, an advanced rock course. You could, at that point, you could just, you could Challenge. skip first. Well, I took the second course because I had the experience to just go to the second course. I see. And then after that, I took the exam and uh, I passed. So that was good. <laughs> it was all guys, of course. And then yes. me. Yeah. But, um, and then after that, I helped my uh, husband at the time and also a couple good friends challenge the exam because it was oh. like the end of that period. So I kind of, we would go out and I would help work with them and, be like, this is what you need to do. Right. And, and then, so a few of them challenged the, the exam. Um, but so I did that in, in that whole process was wanting to maybe transition to the guiding. And uh, so I started work for Jackson Hole Mountain Guides in about 2000, I think. And then, um, and then I still yes. did Knowles. And then I did that. I kind of did, mixed it up a little bit. I would do like summer guiding sometimes the winter guiding. And then I would teach Knowles rock camps and winter courses and stuff until 2008, uh, which is when I went to physical therapy school and I continued guiding for Jackson Mountain Guides until 2011. 2009, so, sorry, you said. 2008, I went to physical therapy school. Right. And then, uh, and I still continued to guide through those summers until I became a physical therapist. And then once you became a physical therapist, you were done guiding? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Once I graduated, then it was like on to like, all right, I don't think I can, I'm not going to be doing both. You know, new career, pretty excited about, uh, you know, embracing that and learning there. So it was it was really hard to leave the guiding world, I admit. Um, so I have a few questions. Like, can you kind of compare? We did a little bit, but I think probably things that stand out for you to compare between like, um, say, the nose, more like education work and then the guiding work and then why that was suits for you as say the at your lifetime uh, goal at that time. And then uh, what's the pros and cons between these two in terms of your life decisions and all that? And then how can you jump out and to take physical therapy school? And then you make this decision. Why is it hard to, to leave the world? I guess that's my questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I mean, Knowles, I loved that educational focus of it. When I started to guide, um, even though there is less of an outward education focus, I feel like often clients do want to learn and there's great opportunities to still educate 
clients in those short courses about about whether it's climbing stuff or even just the plants and animals that you're uh, traveling through. And just to it, it sort of broaden people's awareness of the whole outdoor environment. So um, it is, it's different, right? And I, um, I liked both, but it, it did become hard to be gone for so long. And I right. think natural progression, getting older, I was wanting to just have a little more roots. I, you know, I wanted to get a dog. Uh, my partner and I wanted to like ha- live somewhere. Um, wanted to start gardening, just normal. I think things that you kind of want to start diversifying with as you get older. So guiding allowed me to like do that, but still come home, you know, come home. Um, since I was guiding in the Tetons, I do, you know, two to four day trips generally. Sometimes we would do longer trips into the wind rivers or up, to the high point in Montana, Granite Peak. And I mean, it I it was fun to meet people. You know, you meet a lot more people that way. They tended to be a little bit older. Um, and you also got to work with a lot of different guides and, and that and that was nice. Nice. And the guiding community was great. Um well when I was working for Jacksonville Mountain Guides. It was still located in downtown Jackson in this like old building. Um, and it was just very much a community there, um, hanging out before or after trips. And uh, that is the thing that I really did make, two things made it hard to leave guiding eventually. One is the community, you know, such a great group of people. Um, and honestly, when I went to PT school, um, the other thing was all of a sudden I went from being like an expert in something to like a complete newbie and that it was hard, you know, just to be honest, not for an ego means necessarily, but just all of a sudden to be in this totally different realm where, um, you really don't know anything versus the comfort of like being kind of solid at what you do being, you know, after guiding for so many years there was comfort in being sort of, yeah, an expert in something. Yeah, that remind me uh, a couple of things because I've, uh, I still read the AMG Facebook group and I've mm-hmm. seen, uh, because right now the AMG has this scope of practice, meaning say if you are, uh, you can only operate to a certain kind of terrain according to your certification level. Mm-hmm. So then, so there will be, uh, there were, potentially like long time nose instructor. Then now they have to start over because right now you can challenge yeah. the exam and all that. And then they, they feel that it's like not fair and it's really hard for them because they in nose they, they do rock him, they take people out multi pitch and now like they don't have the so called certification to do that. And and I was wondering that because uh I have also some nose friend. They also went on to PT or become the PA. So, yeah. And so it's it's like I wonder whether it will be easier to jump to a totally new thing. You just like okay, it's totally new, so I'm gonna be a total beginner. So I'm just gonna bury my head and work. I know it's hard. So you already have that expectation from a person who might be a senior person and knows, but they want to leave their lifestyle. And then now 
coming to guiding wow all of a sudden have they have to start all over again i think that's a good point um and i i think that would be really hard i feel fortunate that actually i was able to do what i did and i didn't i was encouraged to go through the alpine and the ski partly because they they were like well maybe you should consider teaching for the mga at some point um but back then it wasn't as much of a need to go through every process. You know, I, I was like, well, I got my rock certification. That's what I wanted. I can still do all this guiding. You don't have to be certified. Um, I would think it could be really hard now for someone to make that decision. And uh, like, I have a girlfriend here in Boulder who's going through um, all the courses. She's just did her Alpine course. She's gonna do her exam next summer. Honestly, I think I, I wish you could still challenge somehow. I think it's just mm. so expensive now. Um, and it, it is very hard to go through that process. And there are cases like Knowles or Outward Bound where people can be very skilled in the ways that we want them to, you know, for guiding, which is mount. I mean, one of the biggest things is the mountain sense. Like, I, you know, I talked to, um, yeah, some of the MGA folks and the examiners, and that's a huge thing that's starting to lack. You know, they climb, people climb 513, no problem, but they don't have mountain skills. And so that is something that like, you know, is such an important skill that people come into if they've worked at Knowles or Hourbound. So yeah, I, I, I think, think I that can... would be hard transitioning into guiding and having to take every course. But I think the isn't the goal that like even while people are starting into Knowles, they might take a course here or there and make the process not so painful once you're so experienced. Yeah, I would say that it's us. I think that with people who just starting out, and then I think for younger people, I think it's a good experience to to teach those courses. But they probably should start already start their track on ANGA, and then then probably would not make the process that hard. I think the hard thing is it's just right now at this point that people want to transition from long term, say our band or nose instructor, and then yeah. they've been maybe guiding Patagonia, India even, or Australia, yeah. like you said. Um, but then it's just like, oh, now I don't have that. And for them, there's a, already a lot of baggage for them to somehow to drop their ego if they uh -huh. if I, I can say that and then to start over I think because I think the time that you start the guiding community seem pretty small yes so it's more can feel like a family right yeah um yeah I'm, I'm just kind of curious um about the the whole process um when did you get your certification so I, uh, let me think. So I was, well, I was living in the van traveling and all that. So I actually never thought I would become a guide, but then, uh -huh. um, I did that for some personal reason because I went on to this crazy expedition. I feel that, so my husband, Dave, that he did most of work at the beginning and then he was overprotective. So I want to prove that I can also take on more responsibility. I just like, oh, if I can pass this thing that 
look, I can guide other people. Of course, I can be an equal, even like more um, part in the partnership. So that was my reason. So I didn't get, um, I I did my first course in 2015. Yeah. So it was kind of a bit later. Yeah. But still funny thing is that um, for the most part, the second course, the advanced course and then the Raqqa, I was only woman still. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of funny that I can understand when back then you were the only woman, but still somehow that it's, I mean, there are a lot of more women for sure, but it's not getting a lot more. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, I mean, it was, I guess, especially when I was at Knowles and I mean, there was a lot of women at Knowles, but there were less women who were like in the more the leadership roles and and then in guiding, it was definitely, there were some great women mentors, but it, it still is a lot more of a man's world. I mean, climbing was then climbing changed now, which is amazing, but there was a time where like a woman leading something hard in Joshua tree was like, you know, well, what's that? You know, it's like, so. Right. Then, then how how did you feel about like the mentorship? I know that in those they build up this uh, tier of instructor, the PL, what do they call patrol leader, maybe? Yeah, and, course leader and patrol. Oh, and then the course leader. So yeah. you, um, when you were new, but you were still kind of under supervision by say the higher rank, say in quotes. Uh, do you think that it was like a, a very helpful way? And then how did that compare to once you start being a guy? Because I found that once I become a guy, I operate a lot of time independently. So sometimes yeah. it's very hard to get the mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. Knowles is very good at mentorship. Um, and then we, we have to do evaluations of each other. Right. Um, and you know, all that. So that can be hard, but it's, it just, it's expected to uh, try to, to grow and learn and to give feedback, you know, positive and also like things that someone can improve. So there was really good mentorship through that. And um, yeah, guiding, I think the most mentorship was like, if I'd work, work something with another guide or two, you know, I see. And then we would do every, we did our staff staff trainings in, the beginning of the summer and I thought that was a good way to to sort of just check up on skills but yeah I think you're right that there is a lot more independence and then and um think everyone does things a little bit differently but you don't always get see to that, learn right? their, their process or see it or ask questions about why they do things certain ways um guiding in Jacksonville Mountain Guides you know we'd go up to high camp and then we camped there and then we climbed the Grand Teton the next morning. So that was a good opportunity to like be with other guides, chat and ask what you're going to do while you're maybe racking up because you're racking up out in, where everyone's camping and you're racking up with the other guides. And so that was a good time to ask, well, how should we do this system? How should we do this? So I did get some of that still, which was good. I think that um, for me, it looked like that if you become a guide that maybe if you want to seek for not necessarily like mentorship, but sound like advice, you kind of have to be more proactive because the structure might not set up for that. Yeah, especially I would think like if you're guiding at Red Rocks or something, it's usually more of a one on one and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you take a course, you're certified, you're expe- you're like, you can do this. 
But then, like you said, you are kind of on your own. You're up on a multi-pitch. Like, where do I go? And yeah, so that's, I mean, that happened at Knowles, of course, too. Once you're like out there right. and you're like, hmm, I'm, I just have to figure this out. Um, but guiding is more so. I think there's more mentorship at Knowles, a little bit less guiding. Why did you decide to start physical therapy school? Um, you know, I think I, I started to feel a little burned out working, uh, as a guide at Jackson Mountain Guides. Um, and is that because more physical or just because, uh, you don't, it didn't feel much gross on the job or hectic schedule? Uh, I think, I mean, some of it is physical because you're just you're just going such long days in the mountains. Um, the other physical part is like, at least where I was guiding, it's really high altitude. Uh, and you're just baking in the sun all day. Yeah. And it is, it's hard on you. It, it then, is. I mean, I basically baked myself in the sun, you know, for my whole twenties and mid thirties. Um, and yeah, I'd be like hiking downhill cause you know, such big days. I I remember like at the end of one summer going to visit my grandmother's right and I'm in my I'm like 30 and like I was going slower down the stairs than my grandmother's so my knees were shot from carrying heavy packs from working really hard um I mean that did start to make me question things a little bit uh so I think in the growth piece yeah you you're like okay I, I'm here I am <laughs> like what's next um now i think like my situation was uh you know in jackson hole it's it's very difficult guiding there honestly not the rock climbing part but the like repetitive the up and down the high altitude like a lot of the guides are too tired to do fun mountain routes on their own on their days off and it's a very short season, but you work your butt off for the whole season. I feel like now that I live in Boulder, I feel like a lot of the guides have a little bit, um, a healthier balance of work life where they're, I see them like one day they're doing a multi-pitch school. Uh, like the other day ran into Sarah, she was like teaching a crack school, like in Eldo. And that's really nice with like just a few clients. Um, that was probably a pretty nice day. Sometimes they're in the gym, um, you know, sometimes they're doing big long peak, but it's, it, it, it seemed like a little more balanced and more sustainable. Jackson Mountain Guides, although there's a lot of older guides, I think it, it can be hard to, you either have to just take big breaks after like this intensive summer or um, find something else to do. You know, so then I would do that. Then I would work some Knowles courses in the winter. I would teach some avalanche courses. And I, you know, I saw some of the older guides that were pretty crusty. And I remember just being like, I don't want to be in my 50s and be like old and crusty and burn out. And so I think for me, I just, uh, it just motivated me to start looking at other options. And, um, and physical therapy seemed like a good, a good balance of like my future. Um, I wanted to keep climbing, but just, you know, to climb for myself. So I started to take courses. I had to do almost three years of prerequisites 
which was pretty terrible. So I did that in the fall and spring and then got it in the summer. Um, but just because I went to Prescott College and they don't have the hard sciences there. Okay. So I, and it was past seven years. So uh, when you go back to school, you know, later in your life, you a lot of times have to take those courses over. So um, anyways, I mean, I think guiding is a great career. I don't mean to, it just for me, I, yeah, I think I wanted a, even more consistency in my life. And I, it was tiring guiding in the Tetons. I think I see some healthier, you know, options for people elsewhere. Um, not to say it's not a hard job, you know, it's very romanticized, right? As you said, it's like, everyone's like, I want to be a guide. Oh my God, I get to climb all day. And as you know, <laughs> more like we're standing around belaying all day. You know? <laughs> and uh, we get to do some fun climbing here or there. Um, but it's, you can get burned out on it just like anything. Right. Yeah. I think you have to find that balance. I mean, you, as a PT now, you know, now, Obviously, I, I keep wanting to do new things because now I started a business selling the wave tool um, and, and cupping sets and stuff. And it's a good balance because I can work part time. I see patients 10 to 15 hours a week. And then I do wave tools another 30, 40 hours a week. But um, it's at least they're different things. I'm not just doing patients for 40 hours or just sitting in front of a computer. And um, I think that's a nice balance. Yeah, so what I learned is, I mean, even on guiding, I found that the diversify the stuff yeah. that you, you do. So sometimes like a, a lot of people talking about, oh, you can you can guide mountain route, multi pitch, and then you do some like single pitch instruction stuff. And then then with people who have more discipline, they can go skiing and then they can go rock climbing. So just kind of like mix and match like avalanche uh, courses and all that. Uh, so even so, so, so you right now, so you are not just full time with your business. You still see patients on your physical therapy practice. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I love seeing patients and, uh, I do a lot of hands-on, uh, manual work. I specialize in dry needling and also using like the scraping tools, the wave tool and manual, th uh, manipulation, manual therapy. So it, it's nice. I treat a lot of clients, uh, Climbers, sorry, I treat right. a lot of climbers, and um, but also anyone. I, I like the variety, and that's nice because that's really enjoyable. I mean, do you see that from your background, like probably more say mountain athlete will want to talk to you for their problems? Yeah, they do. I mean, they you know there are a lot of climbers around here, and they appreciate that you understand uh, what they want to do, and I think there's value to um see if you are a climber or a mountain guide to seeing a physical therapist that does really understand climbing because um you know i just just understanding the movement and the loads that's helpful if you can not everyone lives in a place they can but you know most mountain guides do uh i wonder whether it would be this would be your too big a uh topic but i'm like curious like so for example like as a guide right so we are always worried about, oh, if we get injured, we can't work. And then obviously there's a lot of repetitive stuff going on. Like for example, you were saying the guy in the mountains, um, especially if for most women, they usually the weight, the pack 
weight and then the body weight ratio is kind of out of proportion. So, yes. uh, so that would be like maybe people would develop hip issues. I was wondering like whether you have any like tips or like suggestions or how as a guy that we can t take care of our body a little bit better. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a good broad question. I'll, I guess I'll just answer some thoughts there. But yeah, one thing I'm seeing a lot in guides is, is like hip, early hip replacements. Ooh, That's yes. Heavy packs, a lot at 50. Um, and I think those loads make a difference. I mean, so uh, I think the lighter gear is very helpful, <laughs> which everyone is sort of obviously shifting to that that makes such a difference um if you have like a 30 pound pack versus a 50 or 60 i mean i used to carry like a 65 pound pack at nose yeah i mean those packs inside notoriously heavy i think yeah everything was so heavy round carabiners you know oval carabiners stuff like that um rigid friends <laughs> <laughs> so things are better so that that's helpful because that that does make a big difference and um, you know, it's good to be strong, but if you're always carrying all that weight, you are just putting so much more load on your joints. So, um, I, you know, I used to, like I said, my knees by the end of the summer, I was like, they were just chronically kind of swollen. Um, wow. like at the end of, you know, end of a guiding day, if you have a stream there, go stick your, you know, take your shoes off, get your legs in the water. If you're coming out of the mountains. Stop with your clients, make them all go in the water for like 10 minutes and just stand there and just stop that inflammatory process and, or slow it down. You know, uh, you don't need that when <laughs> your body is worked right then. So just that can be really helpful, um, to just do little things like that to help as you go. And then obviously nutrition is important. Um, uh, proper hydration, you know, electrolytes, all that. In terms of like stretching, I think it depends um, on the person, uh, like how much mobility work they need to do. Some people are hypermobile, so they actually don't need to probably stretch their joints too much more because they're naturally very mobile. They need more strengthening. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then other people are really tight and they can benefit from hip mobility, stuff like that, doing some yoga. But each person is individual, you know, and what they have to choose. Yeah. So maybe I just use a case study. So am I gonna be self-serving about me? So, uh, so most of the job I do is I saw red. Uh, I mainly work in Red Rock, so definitely I um, mostly rock climbing. So I found that for me, um, well, Red Rock is relatively compared to other rock climbing you have a longer approach. So obviously, you know, don't bring a lot of weight, just like you said, it's, it's good. And then um, also things I usually worry is because I belay a lot. So either from the bottom or from the top. And also another thing I do is I pull rope down a lot uh, because every time you repel, you got to pull the rope down. So right now I'm like, really picky about how the rope should go. So there will be the least amount of friction. And then I, I learned to ask my client to help me in pulling the rope. I uh, think that's hard. Yeah. yeah. So, but still one time I do have a shoulder 
a problem and nagging me and just from pulling the rope. And I was just like, well, I mean, I never get her. Well, not exactly from climbing, but somehow that I got her from guiding. So what kind of like strategy should I do? Like training, um, stronger, like strengthening my shoulder or stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things there. One, you pointed out having clients help. I think that's really important. I mean, I remember getting, uh, you know, shit from a guide once who, because I wasn't carrying the rack and the rope up the Grand Teton and I let my like big client carry it. And I, you know, I was like, I was like, I'm not as strong as you, like you're a big dude. And if I tire myself out, I'm not going to be a safe guide. But the other thing is thinking about it long term. It's like, you know, let let those guys let other people help a little bit carrying stuff. You don't need to carry everything in your pack. There's nothing to prove. There's times where it would be quicker if you carry everything and then you just do it. But a lot of times it doesn't matter. So it's like, let the clients help carry some stuff, you know, and uh, protect yourself that way. And then I think the pulling the ropes totally too. I mean, and they like pulling ropes. You just pull, have them pull it and then take it at the end. So you can like give it the good whip or whatever. Um, you know, they can belay when they can. And, and uh, it also empowers them a little bit to actually do things. They feel like they're contributing to the guiding day. But I think that stuff's really helpful. I, I, have car I mean, I had carpal tunnel, you know, since my mid twenties shoveling in the winter always made it really bad pulling ropes you know all that um i always had issues um and for me uh you know not just trying to re reduce some of that amount of those uh, pulling the ropes and stuff using skinnier ropes was helpful also um doing like massage work in, in my arms and now I would recommend like for people do like the wave tool or muscle scraping where you you can um, do some myofascial release technique, whether that's scraping or using the Theragun things or cupping sets um, or arm aids, whatever people like. It can really help try to flush out some of the toxins and help re release the muscle tension at the end of the day, which will help uh lessen the chance of of basically injury because when your muscles get really tight you're reducing blood flow to the area let's just take our hands you know your forearms are really tight you're getting less blood flow to the hands you're getting more toxic buildup of um the like waste products in there and it's acidic environment and you can't heal in between so it's like you climb all day you guide all day at night, your body needs to be healing. If your arms are going to sleep at night and if you're tight and all that, you're not helping yourself to heal. So, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I love our wave tool. So it's like using the wave tool for like a quick deep pump at the end of the day to get your arms supple again is actually helping your body to be able to heal. In terms of the sh shoulder, you can, you can do myofascial release too in the shoulder shoulders are really prone to impingement and stuff so you you know if you're doing something repetitive it's like rubbing a blister right if you wear a bad shoe mm -hmm. you're gonna get a blister it's only because you have a bad shoe it's too tight or you know whatever and um if you remove the shoe blister's okay it's kind of like 
repetitive up, down, up, down with that arm, pulling, pulling, pulling. It's like once or twice, no big deal. But when you do it a thousand times, you end up with a, a blister, not a blister, but you know, you end right. up with impingement, with compression of tissues, with pain. Um, so just trying to limit that, some really important change positions frequently. And then uh, lastly, I'll say in terms of strengthening, I mean, I'm, I'm all for doing the classic, um, you know, kind of rotator cuff strengthening of the shoulder. So uh, I like bands. You could use a ball too, but doing the Y's, T's and A's and the W's um, are extremely important because those get the like uh, smaller rotator cuff muscles firing, which are so important for when you're raising your arms up and down a lot. Because if the bigger muscles are doing more of the work, that's where you get faulty mechanics. So the faulty mechanics can lead to the, the, the humerus not gliding properly inside the shoulder joint. And that can lead to labrum problems, impingement, all these things. So the, the basis is getting that, keeping the rotator cuff muscles really strong through some of these smaller movements, external rotation. Um, we've got stuff on our website, you know, there's stuff everywhere you can find for climbers. That's wow. really important, you know, and whether you want to just, cause you want to climb harder or you want to be, um, being uh, less prone to injury as a guide or, or a climber that kind of stuff's really helpful. And there's, you know, a bunch of muscles that are important to strengthen uh, in addition to the rotator cuff, like the serratus anterior and the lower trapezius muscles. But a lot of those uh, exercises kind of target, target all that. Yeah, definitely. I, I heard that. So in the past, aside for the climbers, it seems like finger injury is the most common. Right now, shoulder injury become like rising up could be the most common one now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, pulley injuries are so obvious, like this is a climbing injury. But yeah, I think a lot of climbers have shoulder issues. <laughs> and they can be exacerbated with other things. Like, right now, I'm having a shoulder thing, too. I start it started with climbing. But of course, now other things are aggravating it. You know, um, pulleys are just so obvious, like oh, I popped a pulley. But I elbow elbows also elbow tendonitis is a massive issue uh, in climbers. Yeah, uh, about elbow tendonitis, I actually heard one of the podcasts, I think, um, Tom Randall, I think that he mentioned oh. that uh, in the past, he has very bad tendonitis on the on the elbows, but then he started to strengthen um, his shoulders and back, and they actually went away. Uh, is that possible that way? Is yes. Uh, I mean, the reason that that happens is because if you are weaker in your shoulders and you're core, your back, you, you're going to have those faulty dynamics. And so then that ends up putting more load into the elbows. So the faulty dynamic, it says, uh, what does that mean exactly? Is that anything similar to the so-called compensation thing? Well, it, it could be like just, you know, when you're grabbing a hold and you fatigue and your arm starts, your elbow starts winging out, it starts like kicking back. That's actually coming from scapula weakness. So uh, if your scapula is stronger, you're not going to wing out that elbow, which then is going to put tremendous load on the elbow tissue. So if you think about, you know, all the way up from the fingertips, all the way to the shoulder and back, if you're weak in the shoulders, well, then the fingers and the elbows have to do more work. 
you're still you're pulling the same amount. So if the shoulders aren't strong enough, it you will put more of those loads further up the line. Your wrists will cock, uh, all these weird things. So, so that is so important is to get that stability in that shoulder girdle. Um, and I mean, when you go to the gym, you see horrible posture, and you see <laughs> scapulas tipping, you see horrible neck posture, you see rounded backs. A lot of that does stem from being super pec dominant and some of the big muscle dominant. We don't, you don't, you know, a lot of us think we use our backs a lot naturally climbing, but uh, our pecs actually are very dominant. You really need to do more like rows and stuff to actually counteract. And then the small muscle training, like Tom said. So then that, that really helps give you that stable base so that then when you're reaching and grabbing things, the scapula stays put, the elbow stays put, and you don't start loading the joints in weird ways, creating injury. Wow. It is so important. Yeah. Like actually, yeah, today I was like, all right, I, you know, I need to be doing my, my shoulder is hurt. I can't do big things right now, but I need to go and do my external rotations, my basic things that start to tell those muscles, they have to continue to work and to train them to fire, even when, you know, there is soreness because, when we do get injured, we do, a lot of times our bodies sort of shut down those muscles uh, when you need them, <laughs> you know? So you have to say, no, no, you need to keep working. Now people have this understanding that strength training, it's not just to get stronger, it's also a big injury prevention. And, mm -hmm. but I certainly, um, a lot well, of people are slacking on the healing part, I think because you say, okay, I do this, whatever strength training. And then they just like, oh, I'm running out of time. They just leave, but without doing much about that. So was that, uh, the idea that you were promoting the wave tour thing? Well, yeah, it is another, it, it yeah, it's a piece of the sort of athletic recovery <laughs> puzzle. Right. So yeah, strength, strength ultimately is your biggest, uh, it's the most important thing to prevent injuries, but we're still pushing our bodies hard. We still get injured sometimes right. and we still need help recovering. So that's where like, that's where stretching comes in. That's where from rolling comes in. That's where the tools come in and the wave tool and the wave tool is very helpful for improving that blood flow, which can help that athletic recovery. Um, we, you know, we didn't develop it specifically for a product to sell. We sell it, we developed it because um, our patients were wanting to be able to take something home and continue some of their work. And at that point, all of the muscle scraping tools were like thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, nowadays you can, you can get cheap ones on Amazon, but like um, we ended up bringing home clay and, and creating this tool uh, out of clay and then made a bunch of molds. And Jeff's dad is a artist. And so he made us, um, actually like some some molds of it that we could product test but the point being it was yeah it was for use for our patients to use but then we um but it can also be a prevention exactly it really can also be a prevention tool and that we've learned that too by um using it to like depump and using it at the end of a long day or when you start to feel something small like do it then a lot of people wait too long. Like they, they ignore those signs. You were kind of alluding to that. Like 
they're not taking the recovery, uh, the healing as important. And, you know, most of us could ignore them a little bit when we were younger, <laughs> like it's, it catches up with you. And especially as you get older, um, you, you have to take, uh, the time and, and pay attention to those little things that are nagging and deal with them before they become big problems. Because then once they're a big problem, they're just so much harder to deal with. Yeah. So then I kind of argue then obviously when we were young that we think we were invincible. Um, but I certainly feel that even the younger people, if they take whatever physical activity uh, or guiding as a long-term plan, they should probably already start when they start yeah. this career, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, because they're also they're also pushing their bodies really hard because they can. <laughs> right. I mean, remember some huge things I used to do. And so, yeah, they should be having recovery days, like taking day, a day off is fine. And then doing uh, recovery with whatever tools you like um, to just help promote blood flow and getting that adequate rest so that you come back stronger. I mean, you know, these principles are so well known in things like, you know, when you're training for a marathon and then there's the whole taper and then there's the, you need the rest days. And it's no different with climbing. Like, right. you know, when you go on a climbing trip, you need rest days too, or you need light days. You need to mix it up. Yeah. Or, or things will eventually break. <laughs> but I like the idea. So you were saying that, um, well, you start the wave two or originally not thinking about that. You were just going to create this business, right? Because you were, yeah. Uh, treating patients and then they want to continue and do uh, stuff at home. So yeah. then the wave to kind of help them and then eventually become this its own thing for you. Yeah, eventually. I mean, that's where we created this tool and I, I was like, you know, talking to my partner, my co-mentor, Jeff, and just like, this thing's amazing. We need to like, start a business <laughs> and, and Jeff already owned a physical therapy practice. So he owned a successful company. He knows how hard it is to run a company. I, on the other hand, was a mountain guide, right? Turned PT. <laughs> so I was naive and I was like, let's, you know, I need to, we need to start a business. And he was like, you're crazy. And so I think part of that naivety and inexperience, actually the value of it, it was that I, I did it. I just was like, uh, well, let's try. And I just did it step by step. I, I didn't understand how hard it would be <laughs> to start a business and get the tool manufactured that I wasn't just like, I didn't dismiss it. So we started down that process and I formed the company and I started looking into all that. And, uh, cause I just like, was like, we have this great tool. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And, and now we have a whole bunch of great athletic recovery products. We have bands also. So for exercises, cupping sets, which cupping is awesome, myofascial release. And, you know, we have great little sets that you can do stuff at home. Again, it's all about promoting recovery, blood flow, circulation, doing some myofascial release. That's kind of interesting because cupping, I know cupping since I was a kid. I bet. <laughs> yeah. And then I just saw this red uh, things. And I, even I know, um, some different type of wave tours, like very flat, uh, but then they just kind of, uh, like a gua sha. Yeah. 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 So gua sha. Yeah, exactly. S yeah. So, um, 
So I just like, wow, it's like it's a combination of uh, the Western um, research and then sound like, oh, maybe I think they maybe in, in the ancient Chinese medicine, they invent that one clinic, clinical experience, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, traditional Chinese medicine, I mean, has used so many of these things forever. Obviously, Gua Sha. Yes. Which it's more rounded than our like our wave tool and and more modern PT scraping tools, but yes, same you know it's the start of that concept. That was for blood flow, chi, you know, promoting wellness. Our tools can fortunately also address more scar tissue because they're actually sharper and break up like chronic tendinopathy if you've elbow tendonitis and stuff. Um, but yeah, the roots are are there, and then also cupping. And I I did a bunch of research on cupping. And found out that cupping, I mean, has been used for like 10,000 years. Uh, you know, traditional Chinese medicine was one of the, it, it was sort of the biggest that used it. But like, they were also invented in e Egypt, in Russia, oh. and even America, people use cups. So <laughs> cupping has been used everywhere, which is cool. Right. And, China, you know, traditional Chinese medicine was, the, you know, the first major medical uh what do you call it? Just like a, a medical paradigm or medical system that that sort of um, really perfected it. But um, yeah, people still use it everywhere, and it's uh, it's a great tool. Yeah, it's uh, it's use it and chiropractors use it, which is good. More people using it is better. Yeah, I feel like right now I need to revisit. So I have a wave tool, so I need to revisit. And now, and it's like a small, so I always think that it's more for your limp. Is that right? For your lymph or yeah, limbs? For, for limbs, like for arms and legs and maybe neck, because there's nowhere that I can potentially reach. I could potentially reach to some pressure point in the back, but I might need some assistance. You might need help. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, it's any self tools are going to be easier to use on your arms and legs. And okay. then you need a partner to help on the back. I mean, I can sort of get into the shoulders, but like, yeah, if you're doing back stuff on your own, get a Theracane. Those are nice to like use on your back for trigger points or use the lacrosse ball on your back. Um, but you know, you can use the wave tool anywhere. Of course, as a practitioner, I, I'm using it everywhere. People love scraping their low back, getting their low back scraped with it and stuff. Um, so it's just a tool, you know, that just, it does save your hands. <laughs> it's more effective than like just using your hands. Um, I do love using my hands and I still do, but it's just a nice tool to make all this myofascial work simpler and more effective. How long, uh, when, when was the first year that you started the wave tool, your business? I mean, uh, our business, we first started selling in 2017. 2017, right? So it's uh, 2023. So it's like six years now. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the outlook is like from the beginning of naive when you're trying things out? Is yeah. it things like it's on track now? I mean, I, I, I still, yeah, still have no business degree. I'm still learning as I go, but uh, Wave Tools is doing well. You know, we're tiny. We have a lot to improve upon. <laughs> We spend a lot of hours like getting product ready and stuff, which is not the most efficient, but it, it's just, um, you know, it's just where we're at right now. Uh, but it's, yeah, people, 
love the product, which is cool. Um, it's going well. It's a nice, it is nice to balance between that and the PT work. I mean, we still need to work as PTs too, you know, cause we're not, <laughs> we're not like, you know, making a lot of money on wave tools yet, but it, it's doing great. It's got good potential. I'm kind of imagine even you make a lot of money on the wave tool, say probably still nice to be in touch with real patients. Right. I mean, so yeah. then you can continuous improve uh, your products and maybe yeah. invent something new. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I love doing the physical therapy and I'm hoping to keep doing it for a long, long time. Nice. So <laughs> do you think that this is going to be your last job transition, like this physical therapist and then the I wave know. tool, which is related? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm 50 in a month, so I don't need too many more careers. <laughs> I mean, you certainly have quite a lot of like changes, even though they are somehow very related. So uh, we can say anchor it to, you know, being a good athlete, say. Uh, from the very beginning to, to here and then educate and help people. Obviously it, you're on that line, but I'm yeah. just curious whether this is like more like the last, but probably how to say it, right? I'll start guiding again. <laughs> Actually, uh, yes. Uh, see if somebody reached out to me about doing a women's course. Oh, and I'm, oh I would love to, but I let my woofer respond expire so i have to go get uh the 10 days again huh something again i think right. there's a shorter one but i will you know it made me think i was like if i had a little more time i would love to do some of the those kind of educational women's courses i i always loved that yeah because yeah. i was even just thinking about like if somehow i can uh say if somehow this podcast this podcast is also pretty small i'm just kind of also naive to start <laughs> this thing and then turn out to be much work and yeah. it could potentially like um somehow down the line i bet that uh because we didn't really touch a whole lot but injury prevention and then also like prehab rehab is a big thing that in the guy community we could potentially do some sort of web webinar and uh, uh stuff do yeah. the thing and people can chip in and ask you questions yeah yeah i mean i, I hope because i i feel like i it for me it's very good to make very good friends with all my physical service friends yeah <laughs> yeah so um great and then also let's see uh then how about like you, you're looking at your current career? Um, well, I'm not trying to say compare to guiding what is better, but I guess what I'm trying to say is all this career change, uh, that did you get what you wanted at that time when you switch the career? Yeah. I mean, I think I certainly, I have no regrets of, of doing Knowles and doing guiding at all. In fact, I wouldn't be where I was if I had just gone to PT school, you know, right out of college or something. Um, so yeah, I feel like tra the transitions were mostly at, at good times. Um, like I said, I guess I can always, I could always go back and work a course and I could always go back and, and guide, but 
I got so much out of those careers and I, you know, I, I still can't help being a guide when I go to the crag and I see people doing dumb things. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always like, okay, I'm just going to say it. Hey, I was a guide and I noticed this. <laughs> Jeff's always cowering. I'm like, they need to know. <laughs> but I still, yeah, that's still inside of me. Uh, you know, I still climb with being very cautious and, and, and conservative. And uh, um, I've loved every every part of it. And I'm, I'm so glad I've done the guiding and the Knowles work. Nice. And then, so if you're looking back your career, say, uh, this is going to be hard, I know, because uh, there must be a lot still out, stand out for you. Is What would you say would be your proudest moment like during all this career guiding or even right now for your physical therapy practice that is a hard question <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't prep for it <laughs> um i mean gosh i think I, I just feel like helping people you know uh when i i can't think of I can think of moments like um, actually being like first on scene of like, you know, climbing accidents or something where I've helped people, but, you know, having those skills to help people is like been very rewarding, I guess, in those moments. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can relate to that, you know, yeah. it's a lot of times it's really not about yourself. Uh, it's really about your connection and how you can contribute yeah and say that uh this is another big question here is say if people uh listen to this podcast and they just can take away one thing what you wish them to take away um i would say to just never don't be afraid to try new things I would say, keep, you know, sort of check in with yourself, see where you're at, see what makes you happy. Don't be afraid to, to step out of the box or try something uh, new. Um, I mean, I think throughout my whole career, I could have um, been discouraged. I mean, one, at initially being a, a female in an all pretty much dominant field in the late 80s and I'm, I'm sorry, in the mid nineties and, and end of the nineties. And, uh, I could have just been like, I can't do this, but uh, I did, you know? Um, and then also I think going back to PT school, when I had to take all those prerequisites, it was like years of extra work, but I just sort of took it one day at a time, just like, okay, still enjoyed myself during it. And then I think now as I'm getting older too, it's like figuring out, how to still have a lot of the work fun balance. I mean, we still go climbing all the time and uh, figuring out how to do that. I still work really hard, but, but like when I catch myself when I'm stressed or whatever to be like, okay, what can I change? How can I be happier? You know, does something need to change and, and not being afraid of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Because I think a lot of time people are stuck because they, they rather be stuck because they are so afraid of yeah. the unknown, I think. Very much so. Yeah. 
yeah. And then I kind of guess this is my guess. It's probably from all your experience. I think in the past when I was doing the nose course, is we talk about all this. Uh, what's the word they use? Uh, not uncertainty, but dealing with tolerance for uncertainty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You wow! You still remember the tolerance for uncertainty adversity. Yeah. Right. Then, yeah. Yeah. You are living proof of this things. You certainly living yeah. this principle really well. Yeah. I think right at Knowles we learned a lot. I also think um, when I was ten, my my father was paralyzed in a skiing accident, and you know, of course, his life completely changed. Mm. All of a sudden, he's in a wheelchair. And he just kept plugging, you know, like it was very hard. He, he suffered some depression, but he always outwardly was like, I'm going to try. And he learned to play wheelchair tennis and he excelled at that. And he went back and became successful at the business that he did. And maybe seeing that, that you just keep going and you just you don't give up, I guess. Or you just you're not afraid to, to take, take small risks because he had to like, yeah, you know, in that predicament he was in. You ran out of base in Boulder, Colorado, right? Yeah. So is uh, your clinic, are you still accepting new patient and all that? Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I ha have a website. It's okay. realign, realign-pt.com. But really the easiest way to find me is my name, Laura Schmanzi's PT. You can find me on Google. Because no one has my last name. So I'm <laughs> yeah, it'll be written somewhere in the podcast. Pronounce no that to me again. Smonsi? Smonsi's. Okay, Smonsi's, yes. Yeah, so you'll probably have it written somewhere. Because, yeah, that's easy enough to find me. There's right. no one a last name. <laughs> so search for your full name on, um, on Google. It'll find you. And how yeah. about Wave Tool? At wavetoolstherapy.com wave towards therapy.com yeah and they probably are you selling on amazon now <laughs> yes we do can't live with them you can't live without them i mean right. i get like, very mad at amazon at a lot but um so many people shop on amazon and and it's the only thing that's really keeping our business going like oh. i wish more people would just shop on our website but people shop on amazon so we do sell on amazon too i see I mean, but obviously people can buy stuff up on your website. It's probably the best way, right? Either way, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, do you also, you say that on the website, there's probably information for people who want to improve their, their health and whatever. Yeah, we, I have, we have lots of educational videos and stuff. We always need to do more, uh, but we got that. Also, Instagram and Facebook has a ton of stuff. Okay. So, same thing, Wave Tools Therapy. I would definitely include all that um, on the web page and stuff. And and just uh, the last question I'm curious is, I don't want, I, I wonder, say, if you do the healing work or relaxation or whatever, the post uh, exercise or workout work, typically how long does it last? Oh, um, if you're just doing some self-treatment? Yes. Yeah, you can do 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes max in a day, you know, sub, I would say four days a week, if you can devote 10 or 15 minutes to doing 
the scraping or whatever body work or some mobility that can make a big difference. Okay. So because I have, I, I read the somewhere they say that it's not about the lens you do it's, it's more about the frequency. Is that right? Well, sure. I mean, either way. Right. But yes, if you do a really long 60 minute session only once a week, that's not as good as doing three 20 minute sessions. I see. Spreading it out. And you're probably those shorter sessions, you're probably getting more done. So, um, you know, frequency is important um, and quality, quality is important. I see. So you rather have like shorter and quality se session than this like, okay, intense, like, yeah. 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 But it doesn't hurt to have a little bit longer if you have the time. Sure. It doesn't hurt to go to a PT or, or, right. or massage therapist or whoever you like to see. I mean, I wish we could all do that more, but you know, it is hard to make that happen. So nice yes. that you can do some of the stuff on your own and then see a professional when you can. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Laura. That, uh, this is fantastic Bye. interview with you. Oh, we'll see. Thanks so much. So good to chat with you.